This is the Epic Artist Podcast. Engage. We must seek to redeem the soul of humanity. Value the good, the true, and the beautiful. And realize the potential of language. Poets, athletes, and politics. Pindar. The greatest of the nine lyric poets in ancient Greece, according to Quintilian, his choral odes were written to glorify the victories of competitors in the Olympic Isthmian, Pythian, and Nemean games. Pindar's victory odes sought to inspire passion into mankind through the belief that we can conquer our limitations through the grace of the gods. To the Thebians, he was known as the Eagle of Thebes. Pindar was a Spartan noble from the family of Aegidae, born around 518 BC. He hails from a village in Boeotia called Sinoscephalae. His mother was named Cleodus, and his father's name could have been Diophantus, Pagandus, or Scopelinus. When he was 20, he was commissioned by the ruling Thessalian family to compose his first victory ode. Olympian Ode 1 is an example of one of his many victory odes. It was probably commissioned by the family of the winner of this particular game, where Hieron, the tyrant of Syracuse, was victorious in the single horse race at the Olympic Games of 476 BC. Such a victory ode, or epinision, would generally have been commissioned by a member of the victor's family, and would usually have been sung and danced on the victor's return to his hometown. Quote, Nor let us sing a place of games to surpass the Olympian. It is from there that the song of praise plated of many voices, is woven into a crown by the subtle thoughts of poets, so that they chant the praises of Kronos' son as they make their way to Hieron's rich hearth, who wields his lawful scepter in Sicily's orchard lands, culling the crests of every kind of excellence. The man is brilliant, above all, in blossomings of the muses' matters, at which we poets often vie in friendly company around his board." Pindar studied poetry in Athens under the tutelage of Lassos of Hermione. There are some accounts that he was helped by the Boeotian poet Corina, the most famous female poet after Sappho. Legend has it that Pindar was stung in the lip by a bee in his youth, gifting him with the ability to speak verses that were sweet like honey. This fable was attributed to other poets of the archaic period as well. The middle of his career was marked with a great progression of his victory odes. During his middle age, he would witness the Greco-Persian wars develop around his very homelands. Pindar's poetry is well represented by a substantial body of work, however, only 45 of his victory odes remain in the complete and original form. Other parts of his work are found in citations by other authors and on papyrus fragments. As a poet who wrote lyric verse, such verse was to be accompanied by music and dance. Pindar would compose and choreograph these productions himself. He would train the performers at his home in Thebes, at the venues, and his work was commissioned all around the Greek world. He would develop a complicated political relationship throughout Greece due to how extensively he traveled, as well as the importance his victory odes held in developing the fame of athletes, their family histories, and how their stories placed his subjects in relation to the gods. In a famous piece known as Pythian Eight, Pindar was commissioned by the family of an aristocrat named Aristomenes from an island state known as Aegina to celebrate his victory in the wrestling event at the Pythian Games of 446 BC. Here is a paraphrased translation of the concluding verses. Quote, 
Creatures of a day, what is a man? What is he not? A dream of a shadow is our mortal being. But when there comes to men a gleam of splendor given of heaven, then rests on them a light of glory, and blessed are their days. The Greek scholar of mythology and classicism, Edith Hamilton, describes Pindar as the last spokesman of the Greek aristocracy. He would be considered an apologist for the aristocratic form of Greek governance. Pindar sought to use his poetry to show that there was an ideal that could be realized through the concept of nobility. There was a certain creed to being noble that commanded the highest virtues and pushed the greatest responsibility upon those with power to help the common man more than those with privilege should help themselves. In Pindar's mind, the great and wealthy Greek families would use their power for the benefit of others. Pindar's poetic corpus was a tribute to an elite type of Greek person who was spiritually elevated, athletically accomplished, artistically endowed, and some kind of physically perfected superego who, through victories at events such as the Olympic Games, could achieve the glory of a lifetime. Edith Hamilton describes, in the book The Greek Way, that Pindar was quite aware of the power of poetry and the effects of language. Quote, Forge thy tongue on an anvil of truth, and what flies up, though it be but a spark, shall have weight. However, Pindar was diplomatic and conscious of the consequences of his writing. In a show of ancient political correctness, quote, Not every truth is the better for showing its face unveiled. That which has not the grace of God is better far in silence. Pindar was caught between the old ways of Greece and the emerging political structure of democracy. Pindar lived, as Edith Hamilton describes, during a time when, quote, Greek achievement was at its fullest flow, and he withstood it. Marathon, Thermopylae, Salamis, he had no part in them, nor in the exultant and solemn triumph the land felt when the Persian power was broken. She continues, quote, His city, Thebes, did not join in the glorious struggle. She refused to help, and her poet took his stand with her. Quote. Pindar was fighting a losing battle by believing in the aristocrats. Greece was destined for democracy. He clutched to the old ways in vain. After all, he was an aristocrat himself. Despite living through times of war and political tension, his most famous works were centered around the promotion of aristocratic glory, specifically focused on the achievement of sport. In modern American society, we have developed a similar reverence for athletic prowess and the fame and fortune that comes with it. Yet even with our massive commercialization and hyper-voyeuristic preoccupation with sports, we do not give athletes a sense of superiority or fundamental importance that is higher than any other American citizen. Modern athletes are exceptionally capable of developing a superiority complex all on their own. What results is a fascinating culture where the modern athlete becomes a spokesman for himself to express confidence, charisma, and to play an active role in promoting the business of his specific sport. Boxing is a great example where the athlete artist reflects the glory of an archaic Greco aristocrat through the use of warrior poetry to channel self-confidence and add excitement to the competition. Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., better known as Muhammad Ali, would harness the muse of poetry to create hype around his unforgettable fights. During interviews or televised moments, Ali would utter memorable verses. Quote, I've wrestled with alligators, I've tussled with a whale, 
I've done handcuffed lightning and thrown thunder in jail. When he was just 18 years old, Ali won a gold medal at the 1960 Olympic Games at no other place than the glorious city of Rome. Ali wrote this poem to acknowledge his exploits. Quote, To make America the greatest is my goal. So I beat the Russian and I beat the Pole. And for the USA, won the medal of gold. The Greeks said you're better than the Cassius of old. We like your name, we like your game. So make Rome your home, if you will. I said I appreciate your kind hospitality, but the USA is my country still, because they're waiting to welcome me in Louisville. Muhammad Ali was a rare individual that achieved an elite status as an athlete to the point where he carried himself as an artist. He was a man of faith and conviction. The Ali-Wepner fight in 1975 would be the basis of the Rocky movies. Sylvester Stallone even claims that Ali told him that he had been talking to angels during the match. I have noticed that fighters and poets share something in common. There is a fluidity to their thought. A good fighter and a good poet are in a state of flow when they perform at their best. It seems that Ali was not only gifted with athletic skill, he was, like Greek poets were, confident that he was connected to a type of artistic muse. He was pushed and pulled by politics, like Pindar. However, Ali made much more controversial statements. He was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War. Quote, They ain't done me no wrong, so I ain't got no fight with them Viet Cong. He was an outspoken advocate of racial pride. He promoted patriotism. He fought for social justice. He promoted positive racial identity and was controversial in his criticism of race mixing. Quote, I want to be with my own. I love my people. I don't hate nobody. End quote. A statement of brevity, existing outside of political abstractions of pride or prejudice. This man was a free thinker. He said things that made himself look arrogant. I am the greatest. He said things that were apparent and obvious in his view of the world. He spoke with joy and with confidence. Poetry does not have to be bounded by a certain austerity or asceticism. A poet does not need ornate language or loquaciousness. A poet is above ratings, reviews, critical reception, and political correctness. If a poet is confident, then he or she will have no boundaries. But if you wish to have no boundaries, then be prepared to have no shame.